I'm Tony Isabella, the creator of Black Lightning, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. All right, guys, welcome back. Today is pretty cool. We got an interview with the one and the only, the co-creator, the writer of Black Lightning, Tony Isabella. And he came on the show and he talked with Kenrick and myself and helped me out today with the intro. I got Casey Tickle Monster Allen on here to help hey, smooth us into this today. So this is pretty cool, Casey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony Isabella, is, he's kind of a big deal. And um, I'm, I'm really stoked to to hear what he has to say. Um you guys, uh, I think you guys had a great time on the interview, didn't you? We did. It was a lot of fun. He was he was a cool guy to talk to. We talked to him for over an hour, and uh, we could probably could have gone more with him if he, if we uh, didn't have other things to do, like other schedule things with kids and family. <laughs> <laughs> and those darn kids and family get in the way of comics. Comics. I know, man. All I want to do is make comics, read comics, and talk to comic people, but they got kids to take care of. But you know, we should stop babbling now. We should babble at the end, and we should let everybody listen to this cool interview with Black Lightning co-creator Tony Isabella. All right, guys, welcome back to the show today. It's super exciting. Well, because we have the creator of Black Lightning, we have the man that tried to introduce Jesus into the Marvel comic book world. And for some reason they had a problem with it. Tony Isabella, thank you so much for coming on. Happy to be here. <clears throat> Man, you have been in and around comic books now since what? 1972, somewhere around there. Well, I was, I was very involved in comics fandom for three, four years before that people keep telling me, hey, I just saw a letter by you in one of my old comics. <laughs> uh, but also, yeah, it's, it's almost 50 years as a professional. That's crazy. And uh, well over 50 years, if you count when I was writing for just about every fan thing that would have me. What, what was it like to have Roy Thomas call you up and say, hey, I like what you're doing. Why don't you come and be an assistant editor here? Well, actually, I called Roy. Oh, nice. I was working at Roy and I you know, we're friends. We had communicated, you know, through letters and, and phone calls and everything for a few years at that point. Yeah. I was working for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which is a horrible, it was a horrible newspaper then. It's <laughs> a more horrible newspaper now. It's basically the paper of the rich and, and the powerful. Oh. We went on strike. 
I um, a picket line with my fellow journalists, although I was actually, my official title was copy assistant, though I did, you know, write stuff for the paper. Right. The publisher called up his good buddy, the mayor, and said, hey, people, they're in front of my building. Something about it. So we were attacked by mounted policemen. A copy editor knocked me to the ground. A horse's hoof landed like inches from my face. You never want to see a horse's foot that close. No. I dusted myself off, went home, called Roy Thomas, and said, Roy, buddy, is there even an entry-level job uh, at Marvel? And as it turns out, Roy had been talking to Stan about me before this and and had, had suggested to Stan that I could be the right person to help Stan on certain projects, like some of Stan's personal projects. And he was launching uh, a line of Marvel Comics that would be sold on a weekly basis in Great Britain. So Roy said, yeah, we've got something. And uh, two weeks later, I was uh, Halloween 1972. I started work at Marvel Comics. That's amazing. What was it like working for Marvel back in the early days like that? Were you seeing oh, Stan was, in the hallway it, still? Oh, well, I was saying, I'm working with Stan Lee, the guy who... who inspired my own interest in comics. You know, I was getting to the age when you're supposed to grow out of comics, even though I really loved them. I was on a really boring vacation trip with my family to, to Oneonta, New York, this little town in upstate New York, best known for being within driving distance of Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame. And at every stop along the way on this trip, I would buy comic books. And uh, my parents got very upset with me spending my souvenir money on comic books. <laughs> and I didn't see any problem with it. It was my souvenir money. Yeah. But when we got to Oneonta, New York, I was told, you know, I, I we went to my granduncle's cigar and magazine shop. I immediately headed towards the comics, at which point I was informed by my, by my mother that I would only be allowed to buy one more comic on this trip. Well, being smarter than my parents, which of course all kids are, I decided I would show them, I would outsmart them, I would get a quarter comic. The problem was is that I had all the DC quarter comics that were out at that time. I wasn't interested in the Archie quarter comics, but there was Fantastic Four Annual Number One, which is, which now I consider the greatest comic book ever made. Oh, wow. But then I was thinking, I was thinking you know, geez, I only read it one issue of Fantastic Four, and I didn't like it. Right. The number seven, Kurgo, Master of Planet X. It's amazing. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, but I can remember. <laughs> Isn't that weird? The first issue of Fantastic Four I, I bought. I remember the important stuff, for sure. <laughs> well, I bought Fantastic Four Annual Number One, and it's an incredible comic. It's got this long story with Submariner attacking the human race. It's got pinup pages and fact pages of the characters. It reprints the origin of the Fantastic Four, and it had a new updated version of when Spider-Man first met them. And I must have read that comic a dozen times on that trip. And it suddenly occurred to me, it just flashed in my mind that this is a job and people get paid for it. (laughs) I want that job. And so after that, you know, I, I spent a lot of time actually studying the comics I read, and you know, I had always made up my own stories and everything. Yeah, usually acting them out with with those Marx Army men 
that every kid of my generation had. Nice thick plastic ones, not the cheap cardboard ones you could get from the ads on the back of comic books. And eventually, as I got into the comics fandom, I, I got a copy of Secrets Behind the Comics by Stan Lee, which came out, I think, in like 47. And so my first few dozen attempts at writing the script are in this really awkward two-column format where the descriptions are on one side of the page and the dialogue and captions are on the other. And I, I really studied how to do comics. Yeah. I, I basically taught myself how to write comics, wrote comic book stories for a bunch of fan themes, took a writer's test at Marvel at one point, which didn't get me immediate work, but again, it was one more reason where I felt I would be a good fit at Marvel. Right. So, yeah, I, I trained myself from basic, basically, you know, for almost 10 years before I started working at Marvel. Yeah. That's nuts. Were you a, a Marvel guy or a DC guy when you were growing up and reading and got, were well, getting into comic books? I, or is it just the love of comics? When I first grew up, when I, when I first started buying comic books, I was a DC guy because, you know, Marvel wasn't really on the radar at that point because I am old as fuck. <laughs> uh, I was born in 1951 and, and Marvel didn't really hit, you know, Marvel, Fantastic Four didn't come out until like 1961. But once I got into Marvel, I was more a Marvel guy than a DC guy. My allowance would only go so far, so I basically stopped buying all but like five DC titles. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I was still reading Green Lantern, Justice League, Challengers of the Unknown, Doom Control, and Legion of Superheroes. So I was a Marvel guy. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to work in comics, and I wasn't going to be particular about where I worked in comics, if I could have gotten a job writing, you know, little lot of stories for Harvey comics, I would have. Right. But Marvel was what I had my sights on. And, you know, I had, you know, there were people, there were people at DC that were very kind to me. Carmine Infantino was very helpful to a young fan. Murray Bolton off. Dick Giordano. At Marvel, besides Roy, Steve Englehart, you, you know, yeah. and I corresponded uh, but Marvel was where I wanted to be because back in the seventies, you know, Marvel, with a few exceptions, you know, you know, things like Batlash and, and uh, the stuff Neil Adams and, and Denny O'Neill were doing. Right. Marvel was just kicking DC's ass all over the place. They were better comics. Right. More... In fact, when I when I finally went to work for DC a few years later, it was really evident to me that Jeanette Kahn, while she loved the, who was publisher at the time I came over. Yeah. DC. So she really loved the DC characters. It was pretty evident to me that she liked the Marvel books better than the DC books. And she was right to do so. They were better books. Right. Do you think it was just the character development and the storylines? Or what do you think caused that? Or was it just the... The more, the more dramatic artwork. Yeah. There's a story that goes around that, that DC would look at these Marvel books and wonder why they were out selling DC books. And one editor concluded that it was because the Marvel artworks had bad artwork. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, bad artwork? Kirby, Ditko, Don Heck, you know, Don, Dick Ayers, I mean, Gene Colan, John Buscema. These, these guys knew how to tell a story. Right. So it was the exciting visuals plus, you know, the better written dialogue. You know, comic book dialogue isn't, you know, like real life. Right. And, and people who try to make their comic book dialogue real generally means boring comics 
you're entertaining people. Right. You know, just, you know, movies, plays, you know, the best movies, the best plays, the best comic books have sharp, witty dialogue. And that's what Marvel had back then. It still amazes me this day that, that when I started at Marvel, we had this staff of maybe seven or eight writers, you know, Steve Gerber, Don McGregor, Steve Engelhart, Marv Wolfman. Uh, and even though we were all following in the Marvel tradition, there was no mistaking a Don McGregor story for a Marv Wolfman story right. or a Steve Gerber story. Everybody had their own voice. And, and I would say that Roy Thomas, as editor, never tried to make us all sound alike. So I think that was one of Marvel's strengths, that, that we were allowed to have our own voices. When you started, you scripted, so I want to ask you about the ghostwriter thing, because I think it's very interesting, because <laughs> I agree with you. You introduce Son of Satan, you introduce this whole thing, but then you don't want to bring in Jesus and everything else. And it's and it's kind of weird. You want to be one sided, and I was like, "Man, eh, it makes sense what you were trying to do." But then they never actually published it. Correct. Well, here's what happened: three separate editors knew what, where I was going with Ghost Rider. Right. Um, the friend. First off, I must give credit to Steve Gerber because I had ended an issue of Ghost Rider with Johnny Blaze in a horrible predicament. He had lost his protection against Satan. Satan was ready to grab his soul and take him down to hell. And, and I'm talking in the bullpen. I said, boy, I wrote, I don't know how I'm going to get him out of it. Yeah. And Steve Gerber, because back then there was a group of us, Steve Gerber, Don McGregor, a few other people. We would give suggestions to each other. You know, we were helpful to each other. And Gerber said, why don't you have God save him? And that suddenly, boom, went into my, you know, popped into my head. So, so I had Ghost Rider saved by, um, the friend. Right also known as Hippie Jesus. <laughs> uh, pretty, much, pretty much the white Jesus who never actually existed in, in history. Right. <laughs> um, and and I, just, I just ran with it. And, and Roy Thomas was the editor at the point, that point, followed by Len Wein and then Marv Wolfman. Every one of them knew and approved of the direction I was taking the character, which was at the end of this two-year story I had planned, Johnny Blaze would essentially, and this would be in Marvel speak, right? You know, it wasn't going to be explicitly religious, but he would basically accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior and destroy Satan's power over him for all time. Because the more superhero I got with Ghost Rider, the better the book sold. Right. So my plan was to get Satan out of the book. I hadn't planned, you know, the only change I planned from what Johnny Blaze has been before is that you would have seen him, you know, I probably would have added a priest to the cast. You would have seen him go to church, not as a big plot point, just because that's what people do. Right. I'm not a religious person myself, but as part of my, you know, philosophy of diversity is that if we have readers out there and we do have religious readers out there, they should see themselves reflected in our comic books in a realistic way. That makes sense. And, in a respectful way. Yeah. So my plan was basically, you know, I, you know, I was a big fan of the very short-lived Simon and Kirby book Stuntman, which starred a Hollywood stuntman, and that was my plan for Johnny Blaze after, you know, he had he had freed himself of Satan, which was to turn him into more of a white hat superhero. Right. You know, having you know, I thought it would be really nice, really good stories with this you know, essentially white hat, Roy Rogers, 
kind of rough around the edges superhero dealing with, you know, Hollywood, which is not exactly a bastion of, of any, you know, of, <laughs> of purity. Of, uh, <laughs> of purity. Uh, I thought that could make for interesting contrasts, interesting stories. Yeah. Uh, and exciting stories. But, you know, Marvel got more and more chaotic right. after Roy left. You know, when I have, as much as I love Len Wein and Marv Wolfman, I don't think they were up to the job. I'm not sure anybody was up to the job. And what happened was, I did my the issue of Ghost Rider where this happened. Again, this had been approved by Ma, by Roy, by Len, and by Marv. Everybody knew this was where I was going. Right. But Marv was getting ready to leave, and Jim Shooter took it upon himself. He was an assistant editor at that point. He decided he was offended by this story. And he now denies this <laughs> uh, completely, but that's Shooter. Right. Despite all the good things he did, he can't handle that he screwed up. Right. And he keeps trying to rewrite history to to hide his screw-up. So he denies that he did this. But the fact of the matter is, and he told me this to my face, he was offended by my use of Jesus and was going to rewrite. The book was ready to go to the printer. He pulled it back so that he could redo the two or three key pages and, and ended up making the Jesus Christ figure a demon in disguise, which makes absolutely no freaking sense <laughs> if you read the previous two years of the book. And I was ready to, I was getting ready to leave anyway, because DC had made me an offer. I didn't see Marvel getting more, being anything less than even more chaotic in the future. And the chance to, to go to D.C., work with some editors I really admired, like Julie Schwartz yeah. and Murray Boltonoff. At the time, D.C. Comics was offering me things like Batman and Justice League. And they really did pursue me. Conway coming to Marvel. Jerry Conway was new editor. He lasted there like three weeks. And Jerry had initially offered me 100 pages of work a month at Marvel, which is more than I wanted to do. Right. You know, not fast enough to do a hundred good pages a month. You know your limits. And I wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in doing anything other than my best work. There are writers who can pick one or two titles, and that's where they put their best work, and they just knock out the rest. I've never been that kind of writer. Right. Everything I do gets my best every time out. So I turned Jerry down. In fact, I accepted the offer at DC, asked him not to announce it until I had a chance to tell Jerry face-to-face that I was leaving Marvel. And what I found out was, you know, when I got to Marvel, Jerry essentially fired me. Oh, wow. Because, well, again, he had thought that he was going to be able to fire some other people and have plenty of work for me. And it turned out those other people had ironclad contracts. So not only... Oh, was there no additional work for me? Yeah. But he couldn't even keep me on the titles I was already writing because among besides the people that he was contractually obligated to keep busy, he needed a lot of work himself. Because that's what Marvel editors have traditionally done, you know, uh, at least at that point, is that they grab most of the best books for themselves. So I, I, I was, uh, Jerry thanked me for taking it so well. Because Jerry didn't know that I had a job at DC. (laughs) Unfortunately, unfortunately, Jerry, trying to do me a good turn, called up DC Comics, called up 
son of a bitch named Sal Harrison. And I will preface this by saying that Dan Lee used to teach us that there is good and evil in everyone. Right. And there was definitely good with Sal Harrison. He was great at production. He and his wife founded a, a summer camp for disadvantaged children. But when it came to me, Sal decided that, well, since he's not working at Marvel anymore, we don't have to honor what we offered him. Oh and they God. didn't. The first in a long string of, of times when DC did not keep its agreements with me. That's so, uh, but as far as, as far as Ghost Rider and Jesus, I did actually get Jesus into a comic many, many years later. <laughs> nice. Which uh, one? Marvel did, Marvel did a series of comics called Marvel's Comics, which were six comics that were the Marvel Comics published in the actual Marvel Universe. And Tom Breaver asked me to write the Daredevil comic. We just had Tom uh, on. Pardon? We just had Tom on. Oh, Tom's a great guy. Yeah, like he's a great Tom guy. A lot. A lot I don't always fun. agree with him, but I like Tom's one of the guys I'll never say no to. He calls me up to tell me I want you to do something. I'll do it. Oh, that's um, nice. So this, so this one is a one-shot issue. I did it with Eddie Newell, and it was called Dare Hyphen Devil. And basically, since, you know, the guy writing the Fantastic Four comic, well, everybody knew who the Fantastic Four were, so he had to pretty much run with that. But nobody knew who Daredevil was. So I could do whatever I wanted. And basically, what I did was make Daredevil a demon. A demon who lives within a stuntman. <laughs> uh, I like it. Both of the, tri- the demon during a war between the devil, devil, hell and heaven, got a glimpse of heaven and spent the rest of his existence trying to earn his way into heaven. So you had this demon and and his stunt his stuntman associate. I threw in a Jack Kirby-like kid gang, and although most people didn't pick up on it, the mass villain was Rudy Giuliani. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, I like... You know, I've never liked Rudy Giuliani. Uh, well, apparently you've been right yeah, the whole so, time. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, so I established that there was heaven in at least the Marvel comics that were published in the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, so I eventually did get Jesus into a, a um, Marvel comic. That's a, that's a great idea, though. Daredevil... It's a demon inside of oh, a stuntman, and then gets I, a glimpse of heaven and wants to earn his way into that. I mean, that's a, that's a great concept. Oh, I really wanted to do more with it, but again, it was just a one-shot. Yeah. I've done a few one-shots along the year, along the way, that, that really could, like the What If Gwen Stacy Had Lived, which is one of the most popular what-ifs they ever did. And I would have loved to have not just written a sequel to that, because I when I wrote it, it was open-ended so that I could do a sequel. Right. People were writing in saying that, you know, that's so much better than what they did. You should do a Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Spider-Man series, which I would have, I would have gladly done. But unfortunately, no Marvel editor even was interested in my doing a sequel to the story, which is one of the many things in comic books that baffle me because the issue sold really well. Yeah. And as time has proven, it is one of the most popular Issues of what if ever done? That's cool. They've reprinted it like a like a dozen times at this point. I love those old what ifs. 
they don't. Yeah. Do, I wonder why they did. They they haven't done those in a long time, right? Yeah, well, I guess they did some they a couple years ago. Of, yeah, they throw out a couple every now and then, but they're just you know the Marvel universe has gotten so confusing as has the DC universe, right? That that I don't think those what ifs have the 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 current what ifs will ever have the impact that the original run had, right? Yeah, you got, um, you, you got a universe that's going for 30 years and you're pulling in those what-ifs. That's fun. I don't even... I'll, I'll, as much as there are Marvel and even some DC characters besides Black Lightning that I would like to write again, yeah. I'm not actually sure if I could because I don't I don't understand what they've done to their universe. They confuse the heck out of me. There's too apparently, much. Apparently now at DC, now I've not read these yet, but apparently there are characters who now remember being rebooted and that's just too meta for me <laughs> yeah that's kind of weird yeah, everything's so and, meta now with them i, I kind of don't like that <laughs> yeah yeah they're not doing stories they're doing events it, it's just it's just not the same i mean i would love you know i would love to come in you know take a character that they're not using do something new and original with the character you know write like six or seven issues and then turn it on, you know, unless I'm really enjoying it. Right. Although I do tend to enjoy most of what I write. But, you know, basically, give me six issues. Let me take a character you're not doing anything with. Turn it into a character that, that has potential. And then, you know, maybe I'll keep writing it. Maybe we turn it over to somebody else. Right. Um, somebody yeah. else. Would you like it to be somebody that you can pick? You know what I mean? Like, oh, I yeah. like this guy's yeah. style. This, this is the this person. Is- you know, somebody who, who has a... I've always said that, you know, when I when it comes to my Black Lightning, who is not anything like the fraud that currently appears in Batman and the Outsiders. Right. Because my Black Lightning cares about his, his family, his students, and his community, and doesn't abandon them all. They, they turn him into Batman's house Negro. He lives in an apartment paid for by Bruce Wayne, or I guess bought for him by Bruce Wayne. He, you know, I assume Batman leaves the money on the nightstand when he visits. He's not doing, you know, nobody in the Batman and the Outsiders book is doing anything for people. They're all doing Batman's missions. Right. You know, things that Batman is too unemotionally, emotionally Batman unavailable lackeys. to work on. Yeah. And that's, that's when you think of how much Black Lightning means to people. And I know this because I've been to conventions where, you know, and this has happened several times. Someone will come up to me with tears in their eyes and hug me because Black Lightning was the first time they saw themselves in a comic book. Emotional. Yeah. And, and yeah, when that happens, you know, you know, you get all this crap online, you know, from jerks like the bleeding cool people. Oh, tell you doesn't like what you're doing with Black Lightning. It's not about ego. Right. Granted, I don't like what they're doing with Black Lightning, but I love the TV show because the TV show has the same values as I have. Chris Williams is awesome as Black Lightning. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was involved in the show early on. I wrote a core values paper for it at DC's request. had conference calls with Salim and Mara, Rocket Teal, who are the showrunners. Spent a day with the writers in Burbank. I visited the set several times. It was actually... Did a cameo in the third season finale. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the show treats me with incredible love and respect, and I give it right back to them. They're they're like my extended family. Yeah, 
Uh, I'm going to need a much bigger house for Thanksgiving this year. <laughs> <That's> uh, <awesome. laughs> but yeah, there's, there's like 200 people who work on, on the show. And, and if I go to the set, I'll have at least 50 of them tell me, thank me for their jobs, which is an amazing feeling. But, but here's the thing. This character means a lot to people. He is important to people. And DC does not treat him with respect. I want, you know, I want my Black Lightning in the DC comics. Yeah. You know, even though my Black Lightning, when I rebooted him in Cold Dead Hands, is a younger version than the TV show version, the same core values are there. And I'm a core values guy. Yeah. I don't think you mess, you know, you figure out who the characters are at their core and you stick with that. And you can do incredible stories with those characters. You don't have to upend who they are every couple of years. Right. You don't have to create so, yeah, so fake controversy just to sell books. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. And so, I don't know. I mean, I may never write, you know, especially now with the comics industry in such turmoil and fewer opportunities for especially older writers like me, I may have written my last comic book already. Oh, yeah. I hope not. Yeah, I hope, I hope not, not, too. But You've been a but, but you've been a diamond in the rough. You put out a lot of good stuff. Well, I, I you know I, it's it's very heartening to hear from people. Uh, I heard from a Hollywood screenwriter who told me the story I did in in Dracula Lives, which is basically Jonah Hex's Dracula, and he says he read that story for the first time in like forty years when he got his comic books back from his parents. Yeah, and he called it masterful. He says it still holds up and it inspired his treatment of a, of, of a Western Marshal in something he had written. That's cool. And he didn't even realize it until he reread the story. And I get, you know, I would say every month or so, I get at least one or two things like that. And, and it's made me realize, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I've been studying comics for a long time. Uh, I think that I can approach material objectively. I can look at things... I can I can find its merits, I can find its flaws, and it has nothing to do with what I might think about the person. I just heard a comic by somebody I really don't like. Yeah. But it was a good comic book. Yeah. And when I review it I'll I'll say that. You'll get it you'll give it uh, a fair I'm treatment. That I don't, yeah. But I look at my stuff and I go, you know, my stuff does hold up. Not everything. I mean, there's a few stories that, that it's gonna be products of the time. Things, you can't help that. My stuff holds up. Don McGregor stuff holds up. I look at some of the writers who were considered much bigger names right. than Don and myself in the 70s. Their work doesn't hold up. So, I mean, I'm happy with, with what I've done. I'd like to do more of it. It doesn't seem likely. Creator own, like through Image or IDW or maybe even doing a Kickstarter? But, but the problem is, I have to make sure that these projects make enough money to pay the artists. Right. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I live a comfortable, modest lifestyle with my family, you know, with my wife. Our kids are grown, have great jobs on their own. They're out of the house. I just have to basically, you know, I get social security, which covers most of my bills. So I'm in pretty good shape. I don't have to take out a lot of work, but I don't right. have the kind of money where I can pay an artist. Right. And I'm not, you know, I can write, I can write a comic book for free. Not particularly want to write a comic book, for free, <laughs> right? But I could, 
but if I can't pay the artist, right? It's I not tell fair. you too, one of the things that broke me broke my heart was Don McGregor and Trevor Von Eden did a Kickstarter for a new Saber graphic novel and didn't reach its goal. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is Don McGregor, who who if you watch the Black Panther movie, there's so much of Don McGregor in that movie. Yeah. And and Trevor, you know, Trevor whose style has, has never stopped evolving. Trevor who who was the first artist on Black Lightning, so he should have some name value. Yeah. And and that Kickstarter didn't fly. It's crazy. So it would probably you know, if that's a, I have thought about it, I'll probably do it at some point. Right now I'm just kind of trying to decide do I want to do comics, do I want to write books? Right. You know, right now the only you know, really outside of, of the stuff I post online, the only regular gig I have is is writing last kiss gags for John Lusting. And if you've never seen this last kiss feature, which appears three times a week at Go Comics and is syndicated to a few papers, it's a it's a fun strip to do. It's panels from old he takes romance panels from old romance comics out of context and write gags for them. Right. And after 15 years of doing this, he decided that he'd like, you know, to have a different voice in there every now and then. Always liked my work. And so I, I've probably done two dozen or more gags for him. I, usually awesome. one of my gags appear about once a week and they're fun. Yeah. They're great fun. So, you know, but that's really the only steady gig I have right now. You know, DC is pretty much, you know, DC, has pretty much blackballed me. Not right. the first time. Right. <laughs> I'm sure the Marvel editors don't not, know who I am. Not to put too fine a um, point on it, Tony, but you think do you, do you think your tweet kind of added into the the blackballing on that one, or was it you? Like, yeah, but you know that was happening a long time ago. Yeah, that was you know when I did my second Black Lightning series and got screwed over by them. They set out to to mounting frustrations destroy me. No, they, they, they tried to destroy me. They were spreading all sorts of false shit about me. Yeah. And and I don't have the means to fight that sort of thing. Even now, I mean, you know, the, these cheap shot websites like Bleeding Cool. Yeah. And even the better websites like Resources and The Beat. You know, they love when Tony says something that they can use for clickbait. Right. Uh we're still trying to figure that out. We don't do clickbait. We we <laughs> we always yeah. try to put well, people um, in their among, best light. We like that. We like the positive message more than the negatives. You know, among the things they've they've never covered is you know the love and respect that I get from the Black Lightning uh, cast and crew and writers. They've never covered the Trevor. I excuse me. Oh, I got to take a sip here. No worries. Uh, they never covered that. Trevor and I did uh, cameos in the Black Lightning season finale. <laughs> they didn't cover my running for a seat on the Medina County Democratic Party, Medina Democratic Party Central Committee. Yeah. They didn't cover the story of one of the Black Lightning fans who's been sending copies of the trade paperbacks of my work to prison libraries. Wow. And they're meeting with great. Uh, response from the librarians and the inmates. There are prisons where those are the most popular books among the inmates. You know, they never cover any of that stuff. They never cover, you know, if, if you follow my Facebook page, you'll see all sorts of stuff Yeah. about 
you know, what my work has meant to people, what Black Lightning has meant to people, and they never cover that stuff. Do you, do you, and, 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 yes? Do you think DC's coverage and the way they've treated the character is... <clears throat> like, Marvel's Black Panther, right, it is... Is yeah. like it's he's almost revered in a lot of ways throughout Marvel, and they haven't yeah. really messed with him too much on who he is, how he does his business, and and now they've catapulted him into the stratosphere with his own movie, and they've made him yeah. more and more. And you think DC really missed the boat with Black Lightning? They should have been treating it oh, more in that nature. Yeah, of course they did. You know, Black Lightning Cold Dead Hands, which was a six issue series I did a couple of years ago. Was was a reboot of the character had the same values as the TV show. They didn't promote it. Yeah, there was promotion for it. Most of it was my doing more interviews than I'd ever done in my career for any project. When I suggested they also do it, well, for one thing, if you look at the DC books, almost all of them have at least two covers per issue. They only gave me one variant cover for the six issues of Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands. That's weird. Usually there's like more than two. There's like four, five, six. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, the only reason I think they gave me the the six-issue series and told me I could do whatever I wanted with it because they never intended for me to be back on Black Lightning permanently. Right. Uh, You don't see what I... I'm trying to hit that nostalgic hit. Yeah. and And they also felt that it would... They didn't want me being... They wanted me to be happy when the TV series premiered right because uh, apparently one branch of dc doesn't know what the other is doing because i was already you know i mean i i wrote jeff john who's a wonderful human being and writer yeah jeff johns is the reason i got even a halfway decent agreement with dc prior to my writing cold at hands prior to the tv series because jeff saw the tv series potential of black lightning and wanted me to be happy and before DC ever asked me to write Cold Dead Hands, or what they said, we want you to write a six-issue Black Lightning series, I'd already written the core values paper for, uh, for a possible TV show. Which they didn't follow exactly, but pretty close. And by the time I'd written that, and then it was like, I think I'd written two issues of Cold Dead Hands before they had signed Salim and Mar Brock Akeel to run a Black Lightning show. And, you know, from, you know, within a week, I think, of them being hired, you know, we had a big conference call where we talked for hours about the characters. And like I said, they flew me in to talk to the writers in Burbank. Yeah. Where I had to remember, I had to, I had to answer questions about comic books I wrote 40 years ago. <laughs> and, and so there's a lot of me in the TV series. Yeah. But again, despite the fact that there's this TV series, which has modestly, you know, 15 or 20 times more eyes on it than any DC comic. It's got a strong following. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they just never saw it. And, and to make it worse, I mean, there's not been a lot of merchandise on, on the show. And, and when I go to conventions, people keep asking for more of that. And most egregious right now is that unlike all of the other CWDC shows, yeah, i.e. those that have white stars, Black Lightning Season 2 did not get Blu-ray release. 
did not get a general DVD release. It's only available manufacturer on demand. Wow. You can order it from the Warner Brothers store. You can order it from Amazon. I think either Target or Walmart has it. Do they have it on the DC app? The DC Universe? But, but it's not in, yeah, it's not in the store. That's weird. It, you know, the DVD and Blu-ray, you know, the, the second season DVD, there hasn't been an announcement of a third season one yet, is not available in stores. You have to get it from the Warner Brothers store, again, manufacturer on demand, or through Amazon, or through, well, I can't remember whether it was Target or Walmart, because I ordered a bunch through them yeah. so that I could have copies to give out to people. Uh, but it's not in stores. You yeah, won't find weird. it in stores. And again, it's their one show with a black lead. Yeah. And even even if they're not, you know, it's just, no matter what their reason for doing this, it is a horrible, horrible optic. Yeah. It is. It is a horrible so, optic. When so, you have one show and then you don't even promote yeah. it in that way, in the way that you promote like Arrow, Flash. I mean, it, it kind of felt like Black Lightning was an afterthought during the Crisis on Infinite Earths series. Oh, he was there. He was. And he was there. They did, they did a Red Sky episode of, of, of the Black Lightning show. If you remember the term Red Sky from Crisis. Yep. Where, where, where there'd be books that would tie in the Crisis, except not really. They all, basically, all they had was a red sky. So, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing that, that just really pisses me off. And, and, and I get angry sometimes, yeah, which is why sure. I, I basically, I believe I said, talk about everybody works on the Batman <laughs> and the Outsiders book. Um, and I don't really mean that because right. I don't find any of them that attractive. But, no, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. And the, the trigger for that was, of course, you know, them push. I knew they were going to do it because God knows current editorial does not have much imagination. They were pushing Black Lightning and Katana together, right? Ignoring the fact Black Lightning's soulmate is Lynn Stewart. But here's the thing: Mike Barr, who's a good friend of mine, he created the relationship between Black Lightning and Katana as an adult platonic friendship. It was it was adult, right? And they're ignoring that. They're they're pushing them into a romance that doesn't fit either character. You know, Jefferson Pierce is committed to Lynn Stewart, and Katana is committed to her husband's spirit and her sword. Right. They're friends, and that's all they should ever be. Good, close friends who have each other's back. But a romance, that's just cheap-ass writing. Right. It's you know, low-hanging it's, fruit. It's not clever. It's a cliche. And the one thing I tried to do when I wrote Black Lightning Cold Dead Hands, which I think is maybe the best comics I've ever written, was to try to avoid all the cliches. You know, Black Lightning, you know, I had Black Lightning call and help in one issue. Yeah. Except he never actually teamed up with me. The Flash and the Cyborg appear in, in an issue. And you never, there's no panel of the three of them together or black lightning with either one of them because it wasn't necessarily a story. Right. It's part of his plot. It's part of black lightning's, you know, counter, counter attack on Tobias whale. He didn't need to see that. You know, we didn't need to see the three of them together. They, they did their part. They did it well. It made for a couple of humorous moments. And as I, I try to, you know, I'll, I'll, 
be faithful to the core values, but I will break rules in other ways. And rules are, of course, in quotes. I don't want to write comics the same way I did in the 70s or 80s or 90s. I'm always trying to push it a little further. I have, you know, and I I just hope I live long enough to do, I mean, I have a bucket list of over 300 things I want to write before I kick the bucket. I hope I get a chance to do some of them. Me too. I don't understand why the other publishers haven't realized that they could slap from the creator of Black Lightning on any comic I do for them. Right, right. But that's, that's, the comic industry has never made logical sense and probably never will. When, when you go back to, because you've had a long career, but in the 80s, you ran a comic book store, Cosmic Comics. Do you Do you miss that? No, not at all. <laughs> I was a bad I had the best store in Cleveland, but I was a horrible businessman. Yeah. I got taken... I got taken advantage of by a lot of people, including a, a scummy lawyer who is my lawyer, oh, and, and he screwed me in, in so many ways and came to a bad end, which, you know, I didn't really have anything to do with, but I wasn't right. unhappy to see. And, you know, I mean, I, I was terrible at it. And, it's, and running the store is so much harder today. Yeah. You know, there's so many other things to look at. Uh, to minimal you know, orders, the the you got to have so many orders to get your your special variant comic, and then then they're stuck with right. like these hundred copies of something that doesn't sell because they wanted to get that exactly. one variant. It's just it's and, and, it's and now and now these stores because DC decided that that a pandemic was the best time to to upset the apple cart. They're they're having they're having to pay more for shipping because they're getting their their you know, they're getting pretty much everything from Diamond except the DC comics, yep. which they have to order from, from these distributors that DC has selected. Penguin, I don't right? have anything against uh, it. I, you know, I keep, one of, you know, the, one of them is, is basically an outlet of Midtown Comics in New York, which is a fine store. Right. That's and the Mar- other one is part of, uh, pardon? That's Marvel. When you go to Marvel and you want to order books, they push you to Midtown Comics. Oh, yeah, they do. Midtown Comics is, you know, when, when I get contributor copies yeah. of books, they come from Midtown Comics. That's crazy. But that, you know, it's crazy. But And then the other one is, I think, Discount Comic Book Service. And I, I buy from them all the time. And in fact, up until recently, they sponsored uh, a weekly Tony's Tips column that appeared at their Tales of Wonder oh, that's cool. uh, website. And I was the one who pulled it from there just because I wanted to bring my social media all pretty much under one roof for a yeah. while. Yeah. Uh, well, it gives you then, better control, then, right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they, were, no, they, they never really gave me a problem with control. We set up a format that they liked. They never had any, you know, they never had any, you know, demands about what I cover or how I cover it. I, I I played down the politics just because I didn't want to write something that would cause them to lose business. Right. You know, in on my own blog, I don't care if somebody doesn't like what I write. <laughs> right. But you know, I you know I had a good relationship with them, but I'm glad that I moved on from them only because now they are in the middle of this comic book retail crisis that DC Comics generated. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of monopolies. I just think this was the wrong time to do it. And I think a lot of comic book stores are being hurt by it. 
I hope it all turns out for the best. I'd like there to still be comic books. But who knows? Who knows? My, my very wise friend, Mark Evanier, said that probably the smartest thing anybody can say is, I don't know. Right. So when people ask me about, well, what's going to happen? What's going on here? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and quite frankly, in the past when I've tried to figure out why DC does stuff, it just makes my head hurt. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I feel like you just, I don't know. Tony, I, f- I just feel like you got the shit in of the stick um, way too yeah. much on a classic character that is one was a really fun read. And then two, that now is, it's obviously a great TV show that is still running strong. And, <laughs> you know, and, and you and you gave him that character at a time when there wasn't a lot of black characters out there for them to enjoy, right. you know, you, you, no, I mean, and, and that was I had worked on black characters at Marvel. And, and I really set out to create a positive character. You know, I was aiming it at a younger market, but it, even then it was more edgy than any other DC comic at the time. Yeah. Back in the 70s. Here's the thing. I mean, this is, this is one of, one of the, the true shames of my relationship with DC Comics, that there is only one human being on the face of this planet without whom Black Light You would not exist. And that's me. Right. Everything important about Black Lightning and Jefferson Pierce was created before I pitched him to DC. Was created before artists were hired. Was created before an editor was assigned to the book. Everything that's really important about Black Lightning, the core values of Black Lightning, those all came from me before I ever pitched the character to DC. So yeah, it bothers me that, that I don't get respect but it bothers me even more that Black Lightning doesn't get respect right. again. Right. Once you've had that experience that I described where, where people are in tears because of what what you've created, ego goes out the freaking window. It's no longer, I mean, it's not about me. It's about who this character is and what he means to people. And, and he's not a difficult character to figure out. I mean, I just told you what, what he's about. Yeah. Family, students, community. How can you get that wrong? Yeah. Yeah, he's a and positive yet, influence, not, not a negative. Right. But hey, you know, it is what it is. You know, short of somebody who's the biggest Tony Isabella fan in the world buying the DC Comics, and I don't think that's AT&T, <laughs> it would be nice if like, hey, why aren't you taking better care of Tony Isabella? Put him back <laughs> on his book. Right. Uh, but, you know, short of that, you know, I, I can't argue logic with DC. It's easier to dismiss dismiss me. They have, you know, the, the Comics Press, you know, they love to denigrate me and use me as clickbait. And There's a lot of it out talk, there, too. We talk about the positive things that I've done, that fans of Black Lightning have done. And when I mention that they never covered that stuff. Their response has been, well, you should send us a press release. (laughs) When I say, fuck DC, they can find that easy enough. Right. You know, they're, they're watching my feed. They're reading my Facebook posts. They're reading my Twitter posts. Why do you have Uh, to present a press feed for, for positive reviews and positive image as opposed to just, yeah. 
I'm a 68-year-old guy, and if I had to promote every good thing I do, I would never have time for writing. <laughs> it's been difficult enough to write during this, this time. I mean, the sheltering at home has got to be far worse than I thought it would. And yeah. that's crazy because, I mean, that was basically my life before the pandemic. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get up in the morning, I feed the cat, I make lunch for my, my wife, she goes to work, you know, my, my commute to my office is across the hall. Right. I work in my pajamas. <laughs> you know, it's like, that was my life. I go out, you know. Some days I don't even wear pants. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I always I always wear the pajamas. <laughs> and I do wear pants. I do wear pants when I go outside, you know, to, to go grocery shopping or, or to go to a restaurant or, or any of the, the little errands that, that come from, you know, just a life. But yeah, I'm not, you know, but, but again, with the, with the sheltering in place and, and my kids very often reminding me that I am in a high risk group being, you know, old and diabetic and, and all this stuff. Although I'm, I'm type two diabetes, which isn't as bad as type one. And, right. and my numbers, have, my numbers are excellent. Oh, that's Every good. time I mention I, I do this, people go, oh, no, no, my numbers are great. You know, when I was first diagnosed with this, they were up at like 550, which meant I should have been dead right then. Oh, uh, within a month, I got them down to around 100. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, you know, yeah, I'm not eager for death. <laughs> so, so <laughs> Come November, if we still have the racist in, in the White House, you know, maybe, you know, death won't seem so unattractive. But, <laughs> but right? Right, now, <laughs> right now, I'm good with being alive. You know, when, when people call me a living legend, I think they're being a little excessive, but I do like the living part of that. <laughs> I like hearing that. I, well, I'm glad you're, you're, you're healthier than you were before and you're getting healthier, so that's good. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I'm working through the the writer's block. I yeah. have I have some projects. Uh, you'll make a breakthrough that I want to do. Pardon? I said you'll make a breakthrough. Oh yeah, no, I will. I I mean, I I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and and it's probably not Jesus calling me home. Uh, <laughs> so so yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm working through it. And if he calls you home, uh, he'll probably thank you for trying to get him in Ghost Rider, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. They'll have me. They'll, they'll have me spell Saint Peter when Jim Shooter tries to get in. Uh, <laughs> hey, <Jim. laughs> oh man, body blow, body but, blow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's me. Anyway, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. I expect to do better. You know, I've raised a couple of great kids. My, my wife is, is a saint. You know. So, so I've, I've, I've made lots of good friends all around the world. You know, I, I hang out on Facebook as much as I do just because, you know, the love and respect I get from, from my Facebook, you know, friends and, and, you know, from Twitter and, you know, every yeah. now and then, you know, maybe I'll get a note from, you know, I, I'm kind of close to, to Marvin Jones who plays Tobias Whale on Black Lightning. Nice. Nicest human being on the face of the earth. And and every now and then I'll get a note from him. I'll get a note from from one of the other cast members or anything. I'll get notes 
from people who who you know have gone on to do great things. Uh, a very noted columnist, you know, recently sent me copies of his novels and with a description that that you know my work when he was growing up meant a lot to him. So you know, and I know I I know that I've affected people. You know, I'll probably never get the Bill Finger Award because it would not it would be a controversial choice, I'm sure. Despite the fact you that think? you know, most of the people who are judges on it are good friends of mine. But yeah. I know you know, DC Comics sponsors the Finger Awards. Who knows? Do uh, they really? I didn't know they did yeah. that. Yeah, they're, they're probably the biggest sponsor. Although it is independent, I should I shouldn't knock the Finger Awards because I was actually a Finger judge at the beginning. And a lot of people were a lot of people were were naming me as somebody who should get it. So I felt I should probably resign as a judge because you know it would look awkward if I ever got the award. But basically, everybody you know there were like five people that I really wanted to see get the award that I was constantly you know mentioning and everything. And you know Don McGregor, Gary Friedrich, Elliot Magan. You know, people like that that I really yeah. felt should get it. And and pretty much everybody I really felt should get it got it. Oh, that's so, good. So I, I felt good leaving the judgeship, my position as a judge, because I accomplished what I set out to do. And they do a marvelous job there. I mean, I, I'm still amazed at how they find people that nobody knew existed to give this award to. Yeah. Well, I can't. Ruth Merchantson, I want to say, or... Joan Merchantson, who was um, a Wonder Woman writer, you know, uh-huh. the fact that they found her and and she got the award, the fact that John Broom got the award, things like that. It means a lot to me. It's a, it's a worthy cause. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, and I may get it. You know, the I thing is, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'll get the Finger Award at some point. i just <laughs> rather get it, you know, while I'm alive because it involves a free trip to San Diego. That would be nice. Yeah, I mean, you know. San Diego's uh, a nice place to visit. It, it, is, it is, and I've enjoyed my, my trips to the, you know, to the to the big convention and everything. Yeah. But, you know, at a time when, I mean, I can't really say I have business reasons for going because I've never in my life gotten a job as a result of talking to somebody at, at the, the Comic-Con. Right. Uh, it's a very expensive trip. I mean, between airfare and, and the hotel rates, which just go up every year, and meals and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. So It gets you know, ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a few thousand dollars. Yeah, easy. And, and, and I look at, you know, I look at, well, a few thousand dollars, hmm, that can, that can like, fix the air, you know, fix the air conditioning, put some new windows in the house, you know, stuff hey, like we, that. I drove down there, me and Johnny drove down there in 2017, and it still cost me, like, $2,000. We drove from yeah, Washington State. Yeah, it's it's expensive. Yeah. Uh, day, I mean, I still, you know, well, who knows if there's going to be conventions again anytime soon. But in past years, I've done quite a few conventions. There's some I do for free, either because they're, you know, I mean, they, I almost, I have to get expenses from just about any convention I do. And most conventions pay me an appearance fee. But there are always going to be conventions I don't charge an appearance fee to. to. Oh, uh, East nice. Coast Black is a comics convention in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, Neo Comic Con, which is held in North Homestead, Ohio, which is a charity event and has the most 
comfortable convention floor of all time because it takes place in a in a sports flex. And so instead of being on concrete, you're on turf. That's really comfortable on the beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's gonna I hurt. Never thought about, things I never thought about before I became a senior citizen. Right. Right. Now it makes a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> So what other questions do you have? I That's mean, you know, Tony, we've we're coming up on an hour. I think I, I think we're good. I think we're good for good. now. But you know, you're a wonderful man to talk to. I feel like uh well, thank you. I, I would love to have you back on. Anytime you have stuff coming out that you you need help promoting on, reach out. Let us know. I'll, we will love I, to help you out. You and do let me know when this shows up online somewhere so that uh yeah, I can promote it on my vast social media. Yeah, we definitely will. Because, because we know the news sites aren't going to cover it. <laughs> right. They never do. We, we, you know, because we try not to be negative in any way. We want to show the positiveness. No, this, and this was a fun interview. You let good. me spout off. So we were excited <laughs> to have you come on, and, and so we're not here to do anything oh, that's going to put you in a bad mood. I'd been, I'd been a whole, I, you, know, I, you know, I get a lot of offers for podcasts and yeah, stuff like that, and and I haven't been accepting them, but but I'm going to start accepting more of them just because. To be honest with you, it's going to sound egotistical. Comics needs me right now, whether I'm writing them or not. Comics needs me. They need somebody with my viewpoint on this stuff. Afraid to, to to express their viewpoint and not worry about the PC backlash. I and I don't. Yeah, I don't. You know. Yeah, DC. You know, I probably said a. Dozen things in this interview that will piss off some of the people in DC <laughs> Comics. And it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it's like when they say, well, you'll never work for us again. I mm. haven't worked for you in two years. Right. And before that, I hadn't worked for you for 20 years. Right. You know, if you're going to threaten me, make it a threat that actually means something. <laughs> yeah, make it real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're going to send, you know, somebody over to break your legs. Right. You know. I, I still would shut up, but you know. Well, now it's you know, uh, now they're owned by even a bigger hurt. conglomerate, so you know, you're not. There's nothing yeah. going to come out of anything. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen with AT and T owning DC. You know, you hear all the speculation. I'm just hoping for the best because yeah. whether I work in comics or not, there's an awful lot of talented people in comics. There's an awful lot of, of really good-hearted retailers. Who who are working for very little money yep. to to keep the comic books out there, you know. There's a there's a documentary I just watched. I believe it's on Amazon Prime called My Comic Shop Country. I think it's called. No, oh. and it's a beautiful beautiful piece of work. Oh, I haven't it seen talks that yet. About, it talks about losing a comic book shop that you loved. It visited. I think like a dozen comic shops across the nation. It really made me remember how important these comic shops are to the, to the comic book industry. It's a safe comic book shops. Not only are they important to the industry, but it's also a safe, one of the few truly safe havens for people of all creeds. You know what I mean? No matter if you're black or white or Asian or Brown or, you know, Latino or whatever, or if you're gay or straight or, trans or any of that kind of stuff. It's one of the few places that 
all those cultures and all those different people can actually come and and, and mix. And they're just there because they love comics. And it's it's this it's sad my, to see something go away. This is my definition of diversity in comics, as, yeah. as I said earlier. We have readers of every kind imaginable, and they should see themselves reflected in our comic books in a positive manner. One hundred percent. Except for the villains, you can shit on them all you like. You make Except them all Nazis, the and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, even even Nazis have sensitive feelings now. <laughs> who, would have, who would have thought it would be controversial? Dude, how wanted the punch of Nazis? How mad when you did you? How much did it bother you? Because it bothered me. I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming it bothered you. Maybe, maybe it didn't. But how much did it bother you when they had Captain America spout the words Hail Hydra? Oh, that's so stupid. Oh, my God. You I know, was that, like... That, that, that shock value storytelling. And again, you know... Yeah. It's not, Cap, it's not Captain America's core values. And they can say, well, it'll all be changed, you know, in, in another year or so. But no, it's... It's... it's, it's Stupid, out-of-character storytelling. Yep. Uh, and that will always bother I knew it was coming, uh, right? Cause, cause it, because it dropped before the book came out. Like, you know, they, didn't, yeah. they, they weren't able to contain it. And then I knew it was coming. That's the only reason that I picked it up. Just to, and, and now I, I regret picking it up because, you know what I mean, I, I fell into the hype. Yeah. But it still pissed me off when I read it. I was like, how can you do this to a character? Yeah. And, yeah. like, you know, Jack. Kirby and uh, Johnny, help me out. Who was the other guy? Joe Simon. Joe, yeah. Joe Simon. Yeah. You know, they must be turning in their grave. Those guys fought the uh, Nazis in World War II, and then you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, instantly, what I thought when you when you, when when you went on your when you went on your rant about Black Lightning being the creator and being pissed off about how they're treating the character, that's what I thought about. I was like, he's You're, totally right. I mean, it's. It, you, you can't yeah. just shit on it a character amazes, because you want to. It amazes me that there are, are fans. I mean, okay, Bleeding Cool, they're, they're vile and, and clickbait. Right. So it doesn't surprise me that they take an anti-Tony Isabella stance. But, it, you know, the fans who, who you know, I, I can't help but think there are probably creators who, if they stood up for their creators, these fans would be, you know, would be applauding them yeah with me no you know with me i i express my opinion on a character i created a character that in many ways i have devoted my life to and somehow that's wrong i don't think so yeah it's easier to be the negative yeah you yeah. know it's harder to stand up uh, for what you believe in and and then express that and then people want to naysay that i think it drives me nuts you know when when you're well i generally don't I generally do not read comments. Yeah. But that doesn't stop people from telling me, did you see this? Yeah. And then sending them to me. And I keep telling them, no, you don't really have to do this. <laughs> yeah. You don't don't, really you're not helping me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. one of my favorite lines that I've used in response to this is that, you know, somebody was, was denigrating me, you know, what has he done besides black lightning? And I said something like, you know, they're right. After all, I've only created one character that has become a hit TV story, uh, hit TV series, and they've created how many? <laughs> right. Right. You know. Well, it's yeah, it's true though. I mean, how many comic book 
writers out there have wrote comics for decades and never had one of their creations even begin to remotely take off. So many of them, more than than has stuff that's taken off. And so, and you've created a character that is in the forefront of of the psyche right now and is one of the most important characters to come out of the 70s based on what it stands for, what he stands for. And so, yeah, do you have to have more than just the one? Fuck no, you don't. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bullshit argument. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, tell you, I tell you, though, I, I mean, the Black Lightning TV show is just a blessing. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, you know, it was, you know, my wife and I, you know, we'd be, you know, we'd watch the show live as, you know, as, as it aired every week. And, and it just, you know, it was always just, we used to pause when my credit line came up. <laughs> it must be uh, such a trip. <laughs> it is. It, it really, and when you think about it, it's only like that I can think of two of those CW shows where the creators are actually in the opening credits. Yeah. Black Lightning and the very excellent Stargirl, which credits Jeff Johns and Lee, Lee Motor for having created Courtney in the Stars and Stripes comic of, of a few years back. Those are the only two shows. You don't see the creator of Green Arrow credited on Arrow. You don't see oh, uh, Gardner Fox and, and Hubbard credited for, for Flash. You don't see, I want to say, Otto Bender and Al Plastino on Supergirl. You just, you know, you don't see um, whoever came up with the first... I can't remember who created the the Kathy Kane or the Kate Kane Batwoman, but yeah, yeah, you don't you're not seeing their credits up there, but you do with Black Lightning and you do with Star Girl, and I know that means a lot to creators. And to me, like there should be far more credits for creators. I, I love the fact that Marvel credits as many people as it does at the end of its shows and movies. Yeah, um, you know, it was a big thrill because actually before Black Lightning came out, to see my name in, in the special thanks to credits of Luke Cage, because I created Misty Knight. Right. Um, it's gonna, I forgot know, to I, ask I, you I about got, her. I was going to ask you about that. Well, I'll just have to come back, and we can talk Misty sometime. Yeah, we should. You know, we do a thing. You know it would be fun, Tony? And if you're, and if you're, if you're open to it, which we can edit this out if you're not, so don't worry about it. We do a series of books or a series of, of shows where we bring the creator on. And we did this with uh, Frank Gogol, who's done uh, Dead End Kids and now has a new book out called uh, No Her- No Heroin. Yeah. He's a great creator. He really is. You don't, you should check out Dead End Kids. Uh, and, okay. then, and then we had uh, Stefan Frank on for Silver and Joseph and Kevin Joseph for Tart. And, and we're going to have the guys that are doing Kanto with Image Comics on here in a couple weeks. And what we do is we take one of their books that they've created, and then we actually do a DVD commentary on the book. And we go page by page and talk about the panels and how you came up with what was going on and what you were thinking about. And, and we just so people can get their copy of their favorite of that book and they can follow along with us and have that interaction with the, with the creator and the writer of the book that they might not usually have. You know, I, I'd be willing to, you know, right now, this Thursday, the Ohio Center for the Book Book Club, yeah. which is on Zoom, uh, is doing Black Lightning Cold Dead Hands. And, and I'm actually going to 
being you know your first time doing a Zoom conference. Oh, fun! Assuming my assuming my son comes comes over and shows me how to put this camera on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, no, I'd be I'd be up for something like that. If, in, okay, in, in well, we'll reach out. You, you know, like I said, if you have time and and you're interested in doing something like that, it might be cool. If um, if you find out you yeah. don't have the time, that's okay too. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's all sorts of. I mean, like I was, I was hoping to do annotations for every issue of Black Lightning, Cold Dead Hands, and never got around to it because there's all sorts of little bits in, yeah. in that book that 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 I think people would be fascinated by. Let's we can do that book or any book that you want to do in your repertoire. We'd be we'd love to yeah. have you on and do and we and and Cold Dead Hands would be great. I'd be a great one to that'd be a fun one to do and to read and then. To actually sit there and talk to you about page by page, it's yeah, it's totally geeky, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. Well, let's you know if, if you get a chance on it. Have you've done a few of these DVDs? Well, they're not DVD. We, we don't put them. We we call them. We, we just we compare them to a DVD commentary. We put them out oh, on the podcast, okay. and we tell people, okay, okay, this is the book. This is what we're doing, and and then we we flip page by page, and we'll say we're on okay. page one. And then, and then you and I will talk about the page and what you were thinking about and kind of just kind of go through page by page. It's, it's actually a lot of fun. We can send you over, we can, we can send you over a, a one that's an example of what we did. Yeah. Just send me, just send me the link to it and, yeah. and I'll check it out. Yeah. Yeah. You might have okay. a lot of fun with it. Well, okay. Tony, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has been a treasure oh, and, a, and a blessing. This has been fun, and and gosh, I'm sure that I didn't offend anybody. No, I think you're fine. You know, because, <laughs> I'm such a sweet, easygoing guy. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure everyone who has mentioned during this hour is just going to be so appreciative that I I remembered them. You keep your cards close to your chest. I think it'll be wonderful. <laughs> Well, hey. you guys have a great evening. You too. Uh, and we're back. Casey, what'd you think, man? Dude, uh, okay. This guy, he, he's he got a lot to say. And uh, fascinating, fascinating dude. Um, yeah, Tony Isabella. Like, uh I'd read his stuff before. I had no idea how much he actually contributed to Marvel and DC's of wah, I guess. Right, right. But, oh my gosh. Yeah, he created, I mean, co-creator of Black Lightning. He worked on Ghost Rider for Marvel. Done a bunch of stuff over the years. I mean, the guy's got a pretty good, uh, a pretty good, you know, back catalog there. And if you want a fun time, just go read about his history, his, his current history with DC Comics and and some of the stuff he said with them. He's gotten gotten uh, lit some fires there, which is pretty fun. And I I, I adore his passion for his character because he does. You can tell he loves the character Black Lightning and, and Jefferson and, and the whole family of Black Lightning he created. He's he's you know he's not one of those creators who create something and like you know gets mad about stupid silly changes. He 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 created a core value system for a character set that he is a hundred percent behind. And you know, when that core value set gets altered in a bad way or it gets, you know, ignored, um, he's not shy to tell the world that, which I can appreciate. Yeah. He's, he's an advocate for his, for his characters and his work. And, um, I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. Yeah. 
So I think with that, that's going to be a show. But if you liked that interview and you liked hearing us talk, and you like hearing Casey and I talk or Casey talking, because Casey got that nice, smooth NPR voice, go to spoilerverse.com or go to your podcatcher and search for Spoiler Country. Listen to all of our back issues. We got so many other interviews out there with comic creators, with actors, writers, producers, musicians, composers, the whole gamut of the creative world. We talked to them all. And we're over 500 episodes now. We've got 500 episodes we've done since July of 2017, which is pretty insane. And it's been a fun, awesome ride. So go check all of those, all of those things out. And when you're on Twilverse.com, check out all of the other podcasts that we have, like Bridging the Geekdoms and Shooting the Sith and Funny Book Forensics and Nerds from the Crypt. There's so much cool stuff there. And uh, hey, Casey, uh, is there other stuff they can find on the site too? I mean, they could, uh, I don't know, check out the, the store that's attached to the site. That might be kind of cool. Yeah, there's some cool stuff there. I have uh, two shirts that, they, they're some of the most comfortable t-shirts I own. He only owns which, two shirts. That's it. Yeah, Just yes, two. Yes, I, I would be in rags if not for the show. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't own pants, just two shirts. That's all he's got to wear around, guys. So if you go to the store and buy some stuff, we can afford to buy Casey more clothes. Trust me, we want him in yeah, clothes. I mean, right now I have pants, two shirts, everything else, free balling, and uh, no socks. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I, I found some flip-flops on the side of the road. <laughs> I'm working towards more clothing. But yeah. right now, I mean... It's, it's it's fall in Alabama. It's, it's kind of nice. I can still get away with with uh, with no no shoes and socks. So <laughs> maybe in, in a month it'll it'll start being winter. It will be. But, uh, so help 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 yeah, brother yeah. out here, guys guys. And on the website, check out all the reviews, previews, and articles. All the fun stuff we've got up there because there's so much cool, awesome stuff on the website for you to read and check out and comment on. You need to go do that. And Last thing I want you to do is I want you to go to scpod.us slash discord, join our public discord server and chat with us and join our contest and have fun. We have a lot of fun there. Answer Casey's questions of the day and just come have a general good time, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun seeing people on the discord. Yeah. And uh, let us know about you. What do you guys like? What do you want to see on the show? Yeah. Um, also, uh, like and review and uh, if you like a particular episode and you know, want to share the love of uh, the show say you know share it around on social media that stuff is always awesome to see out in the wild and um, it uh, if, if you can bring another listener to the fold let's, yeah. let's do it to it let's do it and with that and notions of podcasts we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open your mind and learn more. more.